Whatever you think you know about this man is irrelevant. He is considered by many authorities to be the most dangerous man alive. My colleagues believe that I am wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. And all that we're asking in return is your cooperation in bringing a known terrorist to justice. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about I give you the finger and you give me my phone call? Oh, Mr. Anderson. You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my phone call. And tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a phone call if you're unable to speak? Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we are back at some recording. It's been a while since we we actually had like a backlog of episodes, so... Yeah, and now we're... uh... Now we're recording this one for next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing this almost like a true podcast would, week to week. Yeah. Um, although we're not getting paid, but... Yet. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, right? Um, so, uh, as we always do, we're going to um, give you a recommendation, and Ian and I don't discuss our recommendations. Uh, once before, have we had we watched the same film that was uh, first reformed for our eight and a half episode, and lo and behold... Wait, was it for eight and a half? Wasn't it for Seventh Seal? Oh my God, Seventh Seal! It was. Yeah, it was. I got my foreign films wrong. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, we'll get your foreign films right. Correct. I will. I will. Um, and obviously, if you're listening to this, you've you've seen what what movie we're talking about. But I'm still gonna keep that vague for now. But we decided, um, unbeknownst to each other, that we were gonna watch the Wachowskis. That wait, first feature? Yeah, it's their first feature. Okay. It was their uh, it was their kind of not a proof of concept as far as what they would go on to do later, but proof of concept in the sense that, oh, you can actually direct something as well as write it. Yes, and uh, we're talking about the 1996 Wachowski film, Bound. Ian, what do you want to say about this movie? Do you want to give a little plot synopsis? or It's not too complicated. No, it's uh, the Gina Gershon character has just gotten out of prison. She's uh, a thief. Yeah, she's next con. Yep, and uh, she starts doing odd jobs around this. Uh, apartment condo building and meets the Jennifer Tilly character who is a former I believe she's a former waitress or former like sort of nightclub yeah singer dancer whatever who's kind of become a prostitute to a degree to a degree yeah and she's living with Joe Pantoliano who is he's incredible in everything he does but he is this may the be heart, he's the heart and soul of this, this might film. be my favorite performance of his yes because um, the beginning of this film is super rough. Like the first twenty minutes think, are really okay, rocky. Awesome. Because I because I do I do recommend this movie. Um, that's why we're we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, but it's very it's that's 
that's a great point you make because yeah. I was gonna because obviously I didn't know we were gonna be talking about this movie together, but it takes a while to get into this movie. Yeah, and I, at one point I totally thought I might just stop this and pick something else, and I don't know why, but I kept going, and, and I am glad I did. Um, I mean, what would you have done instead, Speed Racer? I have no idea. I might not have done it. I'm, actually, the other movie I was thinking of was Equilibrium. Just rewatching that because I do enjoy it. Oh, it's interesting. They're kind of a sci-fi. Yeah, fun. and we'll we'll get into Equilibrium. I'm sure later at the end of this episode. Yeah. Um. But so yeah. So um. Gina Gershon starts doing these odd jobs around this apartment, and her and Jennifer Tilly start to make eyes at each other, and they sort of they quickly fall in love. Part of it is that. We know that Gina Gershon is, is a lesbian. Um, she comes out and pretty much says it, and she also goes to a uh, lesbian bar. Jennifer Tilly, we don't... I don't know if that we quite know from the beginning that she is, and she may not be. She just might be in love with this person. But they quickly kind of hatch a plot to essentially get Jennifer Tilly out of this relationship. She's sort of bound, if you will, to Joe Pantoliano, who is a part of the mafia, and that's that's pretty much it. There's a, a, a the the plot that or the subplot to this is that there's a bunch of money that that was stolen and then recovered, and basically um, Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly are gonna steal it from Joe Pantoliano and pretty fr- much from out from under his nose. Yeah, and and frame it on uh, the mob boss's son, played by Christopher Maloney, who I didn't almost recognize right away. Oh, he baby face. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. definitely younger in this. Not quite as yoked as he is now. Um, a little, a little too many. I think I would, I would just say too many steroids. I think he's a little bit roided out for uh, current taste, but whatever. Yeah, that's anyways. But that's it. Um, that's that's that that that's the movie. There's some. I, I hate to say it, but I think once it turns a little ultra-violent is when I kind of got back into it. Well, um, it, well, it, it gets down to just the bulk of the film then suddenly takes place inside the apartment. Yeah. Inside Joe Pantoliano's apartment. And, you know, then you watch their scheme unfold and things not going right and then having to adapt. And then Pantoliano is kind of on to what's going on. And that's why I say he's the heart and soul. It's it's their film. It's, it's Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. It's their movie. It's their story. But yeah. he is the heart and soul of this film. He steals every single moment that he's in and sells it completely, as he does in everything he's in. Well, and the other thing, too, about this movie is, you know, Jennifer Tilly has a very, I I would say, iconic, if not infamous, voice that is very unique to her. And I would also say that Gina Gershon is not known for her acting chops. Which she is in Showgirls. Okay. So uh, that's yeah. That that shows you the level. Oh, I get it. You're being sarcastic. Is, yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you. I'm yeah. sitting over here like confused as all hell. Um yeah. I mean, she for me, I mean, I I sort of took back that sort of resentment towards her as an actress when I saw Killer Joe. Oh, I Because she yet. is astounding I know, in that. I know the play. But, yeah. Um but you know, I mean, yes, I think Joe Pantoliano stands out quite a bit in that movie, but the thing about the two leads in it is that it's the most unannoyed I've been with Jennifer Tilly. I, her voice and her her, her her portrayal of that character didn't bug me, actually. And Gina Gershon, it's easily the best thing she's ever done, at least that I've seen. Because usually I feel like she falls into this, like, you know, it's showgirls or like her little, like her part in Con Air. Like, she, she she's kind of the, the badass but misplaced badass in, in a movie that doesn't quite need her to be that. And... 
her badassness in this movie is great. I well, and that'll change when you do see Killer Joe because, as I said, she is astounding. Great, I do. I do need to watch that. You do. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it's it's weird because I definitely you know like I said, like you said, fifteen minutes in this movie, this was not going to be a recommend. I wasn't even going to. I mean, yeah, it's, as it's we talked about the Wachowski's start. career, I might have mentioned it, but um, I'm glad I stuck with it. Um, the ending's very kind of formulaic and kind of cheeky, but uh, but I think once that, yeah, once you. Once well, and the they, fact that they they end with Tom Jones as she's a lady, I'm like any film that like goes out on a big Tom Jones number or something of that sort of big yeah. band, and just they they really sell it. I'm like, all right, you've you've earned it. You've earned the big Tom Jones ending. I'm totally yeah. fine with it. So, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure how you right right now. At least as of yesterday, it's available on Prime. So if you have a Prime membership, you can just stream it. Uh, um, and I, you know, I, I think it, it it and it hits a lot of buttons. You know, it's it's. I think it's got genuine emotion. I I, I feel for the characters. I think it's they're doing a provocative. Good job. Yeah, yeah, it's man. Those two, those two, are pretty attractive in that movie. Well, they've got um, amazing chemistry as well. And Jennifer Tilly, as you you mentioned, she's got that uh, very breathy, very iconic sort of voice. She does have this very fifties Betty Boop like classic Hollywood look to her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is what's great about this film is they don't tell you when it's set you just assume present day but this film doesn't have to be present day it's very noirish I mean this yeah. could very easily be set in the 40s or 50s and, and I, it wouldn't feel out of place and I think as we as we start to transition into our our main film of topic I think it's that noir thing that the Wachowskis kind of nailed both in Bound and in the movie that we're going to talk about next or at least that, that's my feeling I think there's a well, very that's, noir quality to that's it. been lost in their recent features, stuff like Cloud Atlas. Which I haven't even tried to watch. Don't. Yeah. Uh, not worth it. Okay. And Jupiter Ascending, I didn't even bother. I Ooh. would I would just watch the Terry Gilliam scene, just because of how much you know I love Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. And I will actually be going to the one-night-only event that they're doing on April 10th with the uh, uh, the screening of the, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote, because, I mean, 25 years has been a goddamn long time to wait so i mean i snatched up tickets for that immediately i i bet you did i can only imagine um so that so uh, both of our recommendations are for bound the wachowski's first film which leads us right into the main movie that we're talking about today and it just so happens to be the 20th anniversary of a sci-fi classic and we only missed it by about a week because yeah film... it wasn't that much yeah, yeah we did just miss it um and we're talking about of course the matrix uh that came out in 1999 um, if you haven't seen it, we'll just give you a quick rundown of the main characters. Uh, Keanu Reeves stars as Neo. We have Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity. Joe Pantoliano as Cypher. And the only other one I was going to mention was Hugo Weaving as Mr. Smith. I'm, I'm sure there might be some other names of note, but those are the the biggies. Well, I would the, the name that I would throw out would be uh, Gloria Foster as the Oracle. I mean, she's only got the one scene, but she is so absolutely wonderful in it. What's really going to bake your noodle later is, would you still have broken if I hadn't said anything? I, and she's got probably the best dialogue in the movie. Yeah. It, it's it's a really nice, just to jump straight into that scene, it's a really nice kind of break. That It's that calm before the, the eventual storm. Yeah. Right? It's just... It's so wonderful, and the stuff with the kids as well. Her little, the other potentials, yes. as they call them. I think what's, and we will, we'll come back. We're like, I just want to wrap up that, or not wrap up, but just one thought about that is. It's one of the only times that 
the talk of the ma- uh, of the Matrix and everything around it isn't lofty. Do you know what I mean? Like she's just talking about it. There's no kind of you know you know Morpheus and Morpheus and Smith both have a very serious way of talking about things. And then yeah, she just comes in and just sort of you know talks to you like you're a person. And, and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's not just a the calm before the storm. It's a total shift in tone. It's, yeah, it's it a just, total it just casual. Lets, it just lets the air out just a little bit. Yeah, and it doesn't feel out of place or anything. It's oh, just no. that little that little moment of relief. So, um, this movie came out in 1999. It was nominated for four Academy Awards. How many Academy Awards did it, did it win? It won all four. All four. Um, it won editing, and uh, so, so uh, um, it was the only film nominated for best editing that wasn't up for best picture that year and it won and it swept the main tech awards it took um sound effects sound mixing and visual effects now i was going to ask you in a in a year in a weaker year do you think it may have gotten screenplay consideration because the the film's nominated oh, for, that for was screenplay hold on hold on without me looking i want okay so american beauty which won magnolia being john malkovich was it topsy-turvy yes uh, Mike Lee film. Oh, and Sixth Sense. Yep, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Well done, you. It means nothing to anybody else. No, I'm proud. I'm proud that I got those. I'm proud of you too, buddy. Um, in a, in a, but in a weaker year, do you think it may have gotten some sort of consideration? I well, you know what? I think that's going to prove. Uh, that'll be a fun part of the conversation later. Is how good is the screenplay? I mean, the dialogue is. Some of it is really heavy, and I don't mean heavy as in like it's got to deal with a lot of big you know, ideas and, and, uh, uh, philosophical sort of musings, but it, it's heavy in the sense, I mean, it's just, it's clunky. Some of the dialogue is very, very clunky. So here's the thing. I own Topsy Turvy, but haven't seen it yet just because I, I don't know, I haven't, but I got to say against those other four personally, I don't know. I mean, it, it probably would have been close because Matrix was, was one of those movies that was both, uh, a box office success and a mostly critical uh, uh, approved movie. There were some some people who didn't like that, which we'll get to in a second. Um, man, I don't know. I think maybe I think maybe if one of those other five was out, there's a good chance it could have slipped in. But would you would you trade it for Six Sense? Because that's my that's my inclination. If I've got to trade it for one of the other five. Well, okay, that's okay. Not again, not having seen not having seen Topsy Turvy, but knowing that I I've heard great things about it, I would agree. But you also got to remember that we're also twenty years out of the Sixth Sense. At the moment, the Sixth Sense was the best things in sliced bread. I mean, in terms of like it was it was original. It wasn't a part of a franchise, and it really blew people's mind. I mean, that yeah. twist, like it fucked people up. Yeah. It well, was we like, also Whoa. have we also have the hindsight of seeing just how far. M. Night fell. Very true. It's, it's nice to see him sort of come back. Yeah. I haven't seen Split yet, but I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to. Wait, I mean, Split or Sorry, Glass? Sorry, I, I haven't seen Glass yet. Okay. I have seen Split. I haven't, I, seen yeah, I haven't seen Glass yet either, but yeah. I, I enjoyed Split quite Yeah, a bit. Split was great. Um, so uh, other other things about this movie in terms of awards. Um, it wanted... Oh, sorry. Before you uh-huh. – I didn't mean to stop you there, but I just wanted to finish my thought oh, on yes. the screenplay thing. Was American Beauty, was that your choice? Is that what you would have gone with? I want to say yes. But I, you know what? No. Is it Magnolia? Yes, it is. I, yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, just between those first three, American Beauty being John Malkovich yeah. and, and Magnolia, man, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I got to go Magnolia. What a great, actually, there was this great um, other podcast I was listening to recently where they talked about, is 1999 the best year of film? 
And I'm sure, and of course, that, that's, a, that's a loaded question, but, you get, and that, I mean, it's a good year for movies, man. Yeah. It's a great year for movies, so. Uh, Michael Mann tough. also made one of his best movies. Oh, the, I love The, the Insider. The Insider's incredible. Fight Club. Yep. Yeah, it, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of good There's movies. a lot of, I think there's a, there's a lot of iconic movies. Yeah. Because that, or movies that prove to be iconic. Isn't it Phantom 99. Menace is also 99? Yeah, I think it's so. That, it's the that, re, it's the reemergence of of Star Wars. Yeah. So I mean, and even though no, not necessarily for the better, of but, course. But but it, yeah, it, yeah, it was kind of a monumental year for. Fun. And we had two thirds of a really good James Bond film. Wait, was that a the uh, world is the world uh, is not enough? I don't know that I remember that one to be honest. That's the one where Denise, Denise Richards, Richards is a sci- right oh. plays a nuclear yes. physicist. Yeah. Yeah, called Christmas Jones, and that's where the movie just fucking loses me. But it has one of the better villain Robert Carlyle playing the guy that gets shot in the head by another double O and so the bullet is working its way through his his head essentially and it's killing off all of his sort of sensory perception and nerve ending so he can't feel pain he, he's a great villain and he's he, Robert he's Carlyle anyway. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'd watch Robert Carlyle read the fucking phone book I love that guy well that sounds boring to me but I hear what you're saying yeah <laughs> um, so BAFTAs it won sound and visual effects nominated for editing cinematography and production design do you know what it lost production design to in 99 yeah Topsy Turvy Sleepy Hollow well, that won the Oscar it also won the BAFTA no, I, know, I know that's what you were saying but just so you know that Sleepy Hollow won the Oscar for production design as well yeah yeah which it's just another Tim Burton movie. I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it looks fine enough, but and um, so in terms of in terms of the 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 accolades, like it, it won technical awards across the board. Pick a pick a guild, pick a whatever, and it won. Well, they created visual effect. This has that same sort of sort of drive to aspire to something higher and something greater, like Star Wars did back in the in the mid to late seventies. They had to create the. Te- I always love hearing about that when. They have an idea that's so big that it, it can't be created with the technology that we have now. So we have to create the technology yeah. in order to do it. And this is the thing that I've always, even though we've talked shit about James Cameron on this podcast a couple as of a times person. now. Yeah. But yeah. as a pioneer, I mean, there's no one else who has sort of done more for visual storytelling than him. Yeah. Just the creation of bullet time. Oh, yeah. And what that did for cinema, again, for the positive and negative aspects of it, deserves all the recognition that it got. And so the only other thing I wanted to ask you, Ian, was, hey, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? In 2012. Hey, oh, yes, it was. Um, so great. That, that, it's a long list. It's a long standing list of films that have been inducted into the National Film Registry. This movie currently sits, let's see if we have the same number, at number 18. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that top 100 doesn't shift a ton. Yeah. Unless some new well, fucking it, Marvel movie comes out and well, just, whatever. The, the Spider-Verse one is, is one that like, jumped up there. Yeah, it's way up there, isn't yeah, it? It's it in is. the 40s. It's or? high. It's yeah. high up there. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it yet. It yet. Yeah, no, me yeah, either. Yeah. I'd like to. I hear I've heard great, nothing yeah. but good things. Yes. Um, uh, but I, I wanted to point out kind of where it is on the IMDb Top 250 and it. what it's between. So it's one below Goodfellas at which, 17. Okay. And then just one above Seven Samurai, which sits at 19. So just to, to put it in perspective of where it falls in amongst great cinema yeah and it, it's definitely it's certainly iconic um and i do think it's aged well but there are there are questions i have and and, and things that i thought about more as i was watching it this this second time and that's not i'm not shitting on this movie at all but yeah i it, i think it's up there i think it's i think goodfellas and seven samurai 
I mean, I think they're, yes, they're good movies, but they're also really iconic movies, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, currently is 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 85 um, uh, audience. I think that sounds right. I would, I'm surprised the audience wasn't higher. It seems like it would be, but whatever. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, critical uh, reviews that you'd like to bring up? Well, um, as I've mentioned before, I've, I've given a shout out to Empire Magazine. Who I I love and adore. Yep. Um, you Brit. Yes. <laughs> um, Stating facts. In 2009, when they did their new, every once in a while they do a top 500 poll. Mm-hmm. In 2009, it was ranked number 39, which I think is more appropriate than 18th, as yeah. it sits on the the IMDb top 250. And I do have a quote from Ian Nathan, who writes or did write for Empire Magazine at the time, anyway. The deliciously inventive Wachowskis have delivered the syntax for a new kind of movie. Technically mind-blowing, style merged perfectly with content, and just so damn cool. I mean, that's the nail on the head right there. Well, and so, and I, so the review that I have is from uh, a, a little, uh, little-known critic. You might know him. His name is Roger Ebert. And uh, what he wrote was, The Matrix is a visually dazzling cyber adventure full of kinetic excitement but it retreats to formula just when it's getting interesting. It's kind of a letdown when a movie begins by redefining the nature of reality and ends with a shootout. We want a leap of the imagination, not one of those obligatory climaxes with automatic weapons fire. Now, he he gave the the movie a mostly good review. Yeah, wasn't um, it something like three to three and a half stars? I think it was he's, three he's stars. in there. Yeah. yeah, but he brings up a point which I think is interesting in that I I personally like. That it is a sh- shootout, if you will. Um, well, that lobby shootout is just now. I don't know. If, I don't know if he's talking about that or the one with Smith at the end in the subway, which is mostly a hand fight. Yeah. Because the the lobby shootout, I will just say right now, is my favorite scene in the movie. It's still so fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but I I like that it's. It sounds so weird. We're talking about a movie about reality, but I I like that it's grounded in in reality in a sense when they're in the matrix because for me where the where the next two movies fail is how big it gets the neo flying and i remember i just total side tangent right now about the the i was gonna ask do you want to deal with the sequels just just to get them out of the way okay so i saw both of them in theaters i was so jazzed to see the second one i saw it in theaters and I'm, you know, I'm into the storyline. I'm, in, I'm into the kind of mythology that they've already created. And we get that first fight after... So Neo talks to the Oracle in the second one. And they're in like that park. And then... So all, the, the Burly Man fight. Yes. Yeah. And it starts out awesome. Yeah. And the second it starts to be entirely a, a video game and it's all CG, I check out. Yeah. And that's and that is a but, but I like I kind of like the idea. I just wish that the technology was far enough along because like their again their ideas were so much bigger than the technology we had available. I mean now we can do complete digital face replacements. Yeah, which I don't like either. I mean, and that's me. That's my beef. I know that we can do it, but when we rely on it, I think I think the stories get weaker, personally. And so I I don't disagree. I lost. I mean, I, I lost so much respect for the franchise that like I didn't even mind the convoluted shit with the architect I actually kind of like that scene and, and it, well it, it makes sense it, it kind of one-ups the 
because Morpheus blows your fucking mind in this movie with what he talks about and deals with. And then the architect just comes in and completely one-ups him. And I a- wish they hadn't picked a guy that looked like Colonel Sanders, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. So it was supposed to be Sean Connery. I, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. And Connery, of course, being who Connery was, probably just took one look at the script and went, I don't get this fucking thing. That's the Chicago way. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I... You know, Which he didn't, because he turned down Gandalf for the same reason. Like, I don't fucking get this. Elves and fucking goblins. I, 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 so here's, here. I mean, what I would say is, I think Reloaded is fine. I think Revolutions is horseshit. I, this is what I'll say about Revolutions, is I like, the when you watch all three back to back, which I've done, not recently, but yeah. I have done it, the, the arc that happens, story-wise, is, is really solid. It, it makes sense. It works. We have a complete Neo going from being this just aimless, rudderless hacker to becoming an actual messiah, yeah. as his name Neo implies, because it's an anagram of one, and there's the whole Jesus yeah. analogy and things like that. I mean, it, it makes sense, and the sacrifices that have to be made along the way. I mean, they set up stuff in one that all just completely pay off in revolutions, I, I think rather well. It's just the execution. Yeah. And all the other little shit. Now, here's... The thing that pulled me out of Reloaded was not the Burly Man fight. It was even earlier. What I love and appreciate about this first one so much, not having or trying to now, in hindsight, forget the knowledge of the second two, is the way they talk about Zion. Yeah. I love the, 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 the mythology and the fact that it's the last human city. It's underground, near the Earth's core, where it's still warm. Zion, to me, is much more powerful as an idea. I fucking hate that we see Zion. I know that... I don't know how else you would do it. Well, now, is it, is it? do you hate that you see it? Or do you hate that it's a fucking rave? Yeah, I hate that it's like a $200 fucking... $200 million Heineken commercial. Like, you know, you know that, like, in another world, that's just Burning Man. Yeah. That's just a bunch of uppity fucking rich kids going to, like, have a rave in, like, a fucking cave. And the Neo-Trinity sex scene. Like, I talked to people that went and saw it in IMAX, like, the big Boeing IMAX that's here. And they were like, I really didn't need to see Keanu's ass, like, 60 feet tall. <laughs> that's That was the first word. A, a guy that I, I used to hang out with came, came down and watched it. And those were the first words out of his mouth. I was like, hey, man, how was Reloaded? Because he did the Midnight Show. And I was going to go see it later in the day. And he's like, yeah, I really didn't need to see Keanu's ass that big. Uh, oh. Really? That's that was your takeaway, but hey, I mean, fair point. Yeah, I guess. Um, so if you if you can't already tell by the way, but listening to us, we haven't really talked about the plot of the Matrix, and it's not that we, we don't really we need to. Won't. I mean, I, I imagine most people have seen this movie. Um, and if not, here let's just let's just kind of do so. Keanu Reeves plays a guy named Thomas Anderson, also known by the hacker name Neo. Um, who is currently living in the Matrix. Of course, he doesn't know that yet. And he's been searching for um, for Morpheus. And, you know, he's um, he gets kind of tapped by agents. And ultimately, Trinity comes and, and says, you know, hey, you know, you're looking for him. He knows who you are. You know, it's, you, you know, basically, we're going to get you. But the agents get him first. He's bugged, quite literally. Um, it, it, it still creeps me out a bit. Yeah. Uh, it basically, like I'm one of those people. Don't touch my fucking belly button. Yeah, and like to see that, to see that thing go because it's a mix. It's a really good mix of like practical and digital effects. Like yeah. I can't tell where the seam is. Yeah, it's, it's still it still it's looks that good. Yeah, 
Uh, but eventually, Morpheus gets to Neo. Uh, he enters the real world. He finds out what the Matrix is. And, you know, Neo slowly becomes the one and saves Morpheus, saves the crew, and that's sort of it. I mean, it's great. And I, I like I said, that's a shitty plot description. If you haven't seen it, go see it because it's a great movie. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming most people have. So this is, I want this to be kind of, yeah, more of a discussion about things that we gathered 20 years later, you know. It's different to to talk about a movie like um, Life of Brian, which if this is, of course, this is like the 40th anniversary of it, but that we weren't around when it came out. This is a movie that came out, like, as we're, like, getting ready to be teenagers. Like, I remember seeing this in theaters. I don't know oh, if you, you did. Oh, you did? I didn't see it in theaters. Yeah. I saw it. I saw it on on VHS. But probably, but probably not much more after that, right? No, like, it was this... it was that it came out in the UK on VHS around Christmas time and I do remember Yeah. it during that that holiday break yeah. watching it then. So this is, you know, I I think it's kind of fun, you know, not 20 years after the movie's come out to just sort of you know, what still works, what doesn't, what do we have questions about and and sort of just riffing on it. You know, for me, I was watching this movie and I and I'm in it. I'm so entertained. I'm loving everything. And it, I, I want to say it's during, there's the training uh, montage, right? When they're fighting in the, the dojo and, which again, great scene. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu. I'm going to learn jiu-jitsu. Hey, Mikey, I think, I think he likes it. Yeah. Now, how many people do you think signed up for jiu-jitsu after this fucking movie? Probably a lot. Or drunken <laughs> boxing. Um, so here's, sorry, this is a, so, so Tank and Dozer were born in Zion, in the real world. Yes. We get that. No plugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How the hell do they understand the Hey Mikey, I Think He Likes It reference? There's no way, there's no way that reference exists 200 years later in Zion. Nitpick, I know. But yeah. I heard it stood out today the, the, when I watched it this last time. Anyways, what I was getting at was they're doing the, the, the training montage thing. And we get the whole Morpheus, we got trouble. And then we get introduced to what I believe is the worst part of this movie, the Squiddies. Yeah, the Squiddies don't totally hold up. I it's and it's not the animation. It's not it's not like how they look or whatever. For me, it's but as a as a plot device. It, yeah, it's so. And I remember I was, I I paid a lot of attention to it because I I wanted to see how it actually impacted the movie, and it it doesn't because. The, the montage ends, and then it's all exposition. Here's what a squiddy is. Here's, you know, they they, they can they wreck, they wreak havoc, they can destroy you, blah, 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 blah. And the only way we can do it is with an EMP. And all that does is set up what happens later when Neo is fighting Smith. And it, it's all the, and it adds, it adds an implication of time, but it doesn't change what happens between Neo and Smith. Like, that's its own thing. And you could legit take out the squiddy subplot or or like or like that whole the mythology of that movie's a little bit shorter and it and it, it, there's no that to me that was that's that sticks out more than anything else i don't think it needs to be shorter your your argument isn't that it's too long is it no okay no but but i'm just saying like i mean you can you could shave off minutes with that and again we're talking about minutes so who knows yeah. but yeah. it just seems it's an it's it's like an added thing that we we really don't need but I I do feel I I see that point, but I also do feel that we need some sort of other danger in the real world that they can't just move around freely in their ships because they talk about being down in the in the old underground sewers and moving around down there. Yeah, I mean obviously the machines know that there are people that 
are no longer outside. And of course, they get into that in Reloaded. That, yeah. You know, there are people who are deliberately left in the real world to start off this whole chain of events that is just going to add continue ad infinitum. Yeah. But I, I think you need something, some sort of added element of danger in the real world. Because otherwise, I mean, you're just assuming that they're just moving around freely, doing their own thing. The machines aren't doing anything to stop them in the real world. Yeah, I guess I just, I, I you know, that's it. You know, Cypher turns on him. Dozer dies. Tank is wounded pretty bad. You know, I guess I just don't. Do you also love that they have names while you're talking about Tank and Dozer? They have names that are related to mechanical devices. I, I, I like the irony in that. It's just a little... Well, I think I think all the names are, are, are I think, were intentionally yeah. picked. I mean, I, I, I don't think I know that they were. There's there's a there's a fun, you know, sort of reason probably behind all of them, you know, to the fact that Morpheus is about, you know, somebody who is a, messes with dreams and stuff to Smith, which is just the most common last name in the U.S. And, of course, he becomes later in Revolutions the most common occurring thing in The Matrix. When he takes over, well, you assume every oh, living yes. being yes. in it. Yes, that's right. I, I was like, what do you mean? Yes, yeah. he, there's, there seems to be a lot of those Smiths in yeah. the later movies. Uh, but while we're talking about names, one thing that I'd either forgotten or found now in my research for it is the Switch character. Yeah. Which I feel it's such a shame that they let the original intention for that go. And it also feeds into the fact that the Wachowskis now are, are trans. Yeah. Uh, Switch was originally, I don't know if you found this or not too, but Switch was originally going to be played by two different actors. So it was going to be um, a, a, man, a man in the real world and then a female in the Matrix to okay. show that it, this character is sort of androgynous in a way. And, yeah. you know, trans, essentially. I, I really like that idea. I know it would have taken a little bit to set up and get your mind around, but yeah. I think it's very... Again, having 20 years worth of hindsight, I think it's very telling, and I think it's a, a great idea that unfortunately had to go by the wayside for the sake of runtime and which audience is, confusion. Kind of, I, I guess I, in a movie that has to do so much exposition intentionally because we're creating a whole new world, I don't, I, I guess yeah, I know it's hard. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, I, I think that, I think it could have been done. I think they, it's like, what, two lines of dialogue? I mean, there's like a short 20 second scene between Switch and Neo where it's like, hey, I thought you were. A guy up in the well, yeah, but 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 and, and it's, yeah. I don't know. I think but that's not how I identify, and then so yeah. there you go. Yeah, um, obviously I, I'm we're fi- a little more progressive twenty years later. Yeah, but I still I, think it would have been. Whatever. I'm surprised it's an idea they didn't revisit in the sequels because you had a shitload of time to deal with something like that, and then yeah. they chose to do a rave in Zion instead. <laughs> but while we're circling back to the sequels, I did also want to bring up the Animatrix as well. I never saw it. You re- you didn't you didn't I, go through and watch any of those shorts? No, I I and I have the Ultimate Matrix yeah, yeah. set. I just I, for whatever reason I just never I never did. Not there, because I didn't want to. I just there's one in there that I would say four out of the nine are really good, and the best one of them is World Record. And now this is not I you know me I don't particularly like anime. I it's not my style of anime. It's not appealing to me. Uh, but the story of World Record is fantastic. And again, it's an idea that I really wish that they had dealt with in the movies. If not the first one, then in the later two. Uh, World Record is about an athlete uh, who's under a lot of scrutiny uh, for using performance-enhancing drugs and this, that, and the other. He's a 100-meter 
sprinter. And uh, he decides, okay, he, he has a comeback and he decides, all right, I'm going to do this legitly without the drugs. I'm going to prove to all these people that I can really do it. What he ends up doing is like the, the muscle either in his thigh or his calf bursts. And, but he continues to run the race anyway. He just picks himself up and powers through it, ends up winning it, if I remember rightly. But while he's in the 100-meter dash, he actually is able to... He's a, the idea is that there are extraordinary humans who can actually take themselves out of the Matrix performing superhuman feats. So as he's doing this 100-meter dash, it actually snaps him awake in the same way that we see Neo for the first time in the real world in the pod, it snaps him out of that. And so he's there and it's this weird thing cutting back and forth between him running the race and him being awake in the real world. I think it's just a fascinating idea. Yeah. 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 I I, I mean, I, I wanted to watch him prior to this, but I put other things kind of prepping for this and other, other episodes that I, I just, I just didn't. But I wanted to. I really and I, did. And I think that's more plausible than just saying, oh, there's a random anomaly who is just the one. I think the idea that there is somebody in this thing that pushes themselves. So it's almost like, you know, they say how parents, when they see their children in peril, say like a car flips, they they have that moment of that rush of adrenaline, yeah. fight or flight, whatever you want to call it, and they're able to do something that appears superhuman that to me is a really really fascinating idea and you go okay so that person was able to do that they were able to snap themselves out of the matrix into the real world they're the one right for that moment yeah yeah absolutely um you mentioned switch and i i wanted to uh mention something and i i i I know that at some point i'd heard this line in the movie and just decided that i i was never going to look it up or, or, or like totally hear what she said but what I never knew is when they're in the car, this is before this is they pick they pick Neo up and they're about to take the bug out of him. Yeah. And is it the copper top? Copper line? top. Yeah. I never I couldn't first of all, I could barely understand what she said. I just didn't like it it whatever her her natural dialect is, I just couldn't quite hear it. I believe she's Australian. Okay. That there was some yeah, there was yeah. something about it that I was like, I just couldn't quite hear it. And then when I realized that she's calling him copper top and referring to him as just a battery because he's just an energy. So I it, like now I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's stuff you're going to hear pages flipping, but there's another one I wanted to bring up and it's not just the stuff with the names, but it's the attention to detail. Um, so let me just read this. I love this. The name of the company for which Neo works is Metacortex. The roots of this word are meta, which according to Webster's means going beyond or higher or transcending and cortex, which is the outer layer or boundary of gray matter surrounding the brain. Thus, metacortex is transcending the boundaries of the brain, which is precisely what Neo proceeds to do. Which is like... Well, he does, but a lot of the other characters kind of do it for him. No, I I, I know, but I, I think all I mean by that is, like, that the name of his company is metacortex. Like, it's just... It's again. It's one of those things which is so small. It's it's like the Lone Pine, Twin Pines Mall, and Back to the Future. Like it's not important, but it's just it's that attention to detail that I, I you know, I I appreciate as, as somebody who watches a lot of movies and now is sort of really diving into them. I I just I found that like great. That's another level of things that I I just really enjoy. Which is brings us back to my my question about in a weaker year the screenplay consideration because there is so much layered nuance in this film it's incredible every, yeah. every in every single scene you can find something like that 
So the lobby shootout is it's great. I think well, I love the race against time nature at that point because the film kind of switches gears because it's a uh, it goes from being this, you know, we're going to enlighten you and you're going to get the training and we're going to sort of set you on your path to being the one and then the film completely changes gear and is like, "Oh no, this is a race against time now." Well, yeah, cuz Morpheus is going to they're going to crack into him. They're going to be able to get the codes for the Zion mainframe. Yeah. So, and, and but going back to my Squiddy thing, like there is a sense of urgency. I don't know that we need it later. I think we get it with getting Morpheus, and then it's the. I, I think it's more about Neil becoming the one than needing an, another external factor, cru- you know, making us feel like we have to get this done. And again, this is just me. Yeah. But it's such a. It seems like such a. A great idea that we just didn't need. Yeah, you know, I think I think I, you know, maybe the, something that should have been saved. Yeah, for the, the Wachowskis had so much. I think they had so much say over this movie that that not everything got got checked. You know, like, do we really need this? But well, the idea also being that I mean, they knew they wanted to make three. They knew they had a complete story to tell, and it's a case of well, maybe the other two aren't going to get made. So cram as much as you can into this one. I mean, Kevin Smith did the same thing on Clerks. I mean, Clerks is a bit, for 90 minutes, it's kind of bloated in a lot of the dialogue. It's yeah. like, well, shit, this may be the only film I'm ever going to make. So <laughs> fuck it. Let's just get this kitchen sink in there. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention the, the Trinity fight, the opening stuff with Trinity. Um, I remember as a kid. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, cut no, you off no, there. But that's, as I'm watching this thing, I'm also trying to think about my first viewing of it because I do remember it very vividly. I mean, I don't think you ever... There are certain films that you don't forget the first time that you see them. I mean, Jurassic Park, definitely one of them. Sure. Uh, the Matrix, uh, for me, Blade Runner, 12 Angry Men. Nice, yeah. yeah. 12 Angry Men is a really important milestone. That's a nice, nice, nice wide range of movies there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Thanks, man. Oh, yeah. I try to be eclectic. There you go. Sort of semi-intellectual sometimes <laughs> but i that from that moment where trinity busts through the window rolls down the stairs and is like get up trinity like i'm in yeah like, yeah no take me on this journey i'm fucking in you know what's so funny what i all I was gonna mention about the opening fight beyond i mean it's it's very good but for me it wasn't the bullet time that we first get right where the camera rips around and then she ends up kicking the police officer into the wall for me it was it was the the way that she like when she broke the guy's forearm yeah, and then she has that that epic kick where the guy's behind her, and she she kicks the guy's head that's over her shoulder with that with that epic high kick. I, for me, I was just like, I, I was in there, like I was like, yeah. wow, she she obliterated that room, which is great because it has the, it has such a great setup with the you know, I sent two units, the bringer, no lieutenant, your men are already dead, and then we get she hands her behind the back, and the way she just owns them is it's epic. It's such a great ass kicking. Before I continue down that path that you're going on talking about the physicality of the actors, that does, one of my favorite lines is right there at the beginning. You, you're going to give me that jurist my diction crap. You, you can cram it up, up your ass. ass. I, I, it's so terrible, but I love it. So can we do favorite lines before we go down that path? Because I, I, I want to get mine out of the way because I do. I love it to pieces. Yeah. And, and so here's the thing. It's, it's not one line. It is a little back and forth, but it is, it is legit my favorite, favorite dialogue in the movie. Is it the Hugo Weaving interrogation? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, it's, so it starts with, starts with Keanu. It's like, wow, that sounds like a pretty good deal. But I got a better one. How about I give you the finger and you give me my phone call? And then he, and then Hugo Weaving says something else. And Keanu says, you know, you can't pull this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my phone call. And then we get the the, the great the great caper to it, which is the, tell me something, Mr. Anderson. How, what good is a phone call 
if you're unable to speak. Oh, that's I. I'm glad you kind of emulated him there because his his cadence. Oh, it's the wonderful. way he's. It's that whole scene. You help your landlady carry out her garbage. Just the the sort of over pronunciation of some of the syllables and yeah. the way he slows down the different the varying speeds at which he talks is yeah. just it's wonderful. And which is great too is so and and that adds so much to that character because when Smith has his little freak out at the end with Morpheus and he's grabbing his face and he's like it's the smell it just it's great because I think you can only be so one tone for so long and I get that he's an agent and that and that sort of it seems to be indicative of agents right to to kind of have this yeah. this this you know monotone thing and we're just it's you know by the numbers you know well and we find out that they're computer programs but he makes essentially playing a computer program just so interesting he adds so much humanity to it yeah you know this computer program that has been around as long as the matrix has been around exactly. you know in here placing it and just the fact that he's like well i i want something more than what i've been programmed to do yeah like he he's probably not the unsung hero because i think a, a lot gets said about what hugo weaving is but he's my unsung hero sure. now 20 years later yeah because of just what he, the way he layers that character and the sort of subtext of his motivations are just, I I didn't really start thinking about it until a couple of viewings of it ago. Because I, I probably, I watched The Matrix once every couple of years. Yeah, I would say that too. Yeah. I want to say this is probably, probably around the 10th time I've seen this movie. Yeah, it's got to be up there. Yeah. And, and maybe not in its in its entirety, but it's one of those things where I definitely like, if I ever caught it on, on cable, be like, I could watch 30 minutes of this. Like, you, yeah. you know, like you own it, but you're going to fucking watch it. anyway. Exactly. But it's the perfect movie that has so many great fight scenes and, and like in good moments that like, if you, let's say you came in and it's the moment where like, let's say they're at the Oracle, right? You know, not much is going on, but you know, you know, you're going to get to what happens in, in when the, when the deja vu moment happens and there's and a change to the matrix. Awesome wet wall fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like that. It's the kind of movie where you can go, wait, where are we? Oh, that fight's coming up. Okay. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Yeah. Okay. Now I can check yeah. out, you know, or, or by that point, you're just hooked in anyway and you got to stick. You're just going to finish it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Cause it's one of the movies that I would say there are films out there. I defy you to turn them off once you've started them. And Matrix yeah. for me is absolutely one of those. Oh yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Anyway, we're we're talking about physicality of actors. Yes. Um, the number of injuries on this film. Yeah. It seems like maybe, Keanu, maybe Lawrence Fishburne was the only person who didn't have a significant injury. Not that I read about. No. Okay. Hugo okay. Weaving broke his hip. Yes. And then Carrie Ann Moss. So, was, I thought it was her ankle. It was her ankle. Okay. Keanu Reeves broke his Jesus. fucking yeah. neck. Yeah. Which. Yeah, you're not supposed to keep walking around and do scissor kicks after you do that, but he is a fucking legend. Yeah. Liz actually, this is fun. I'm glad we're talking about Keanu Reeves. Liz showed me this video of him recently. Uh, he was on a flight that got de- either delayed or canceled, and they didn't have far. It was like, it was a very small, like, puddle jumper kind of small flight thing. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to rent a fucking van, and anybody that wants to come with me, I mean, I'll drop you off. You know, because you're going, we're all going to the same place, essentially. We're all trying to just get back to L.A. And so he did. He just, like, rented a van and took a bunch of people. And somebody was, like, Snapchatting this. So they had this huge, long Snapchat story of just hanging out in a van with Keanu. Like, a lot of people talk shit about him as an actor, the decisions that he's made. And, yeah, don't get me wrong. I rewatched Bram Stoker's Dracula very recently. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's It's tough. His English accent is fucking tough. Okay. But he is 
watching the supplementals in the John Wick films, he seems to be one of the most well-liked, well-respected actors working today. Nobody has a bad fucking thing to say about this man. And he got Angelica Houston for John Wick 3. How the fuck do you get Angelica Houston in a film like that? It's got to be because of him. So... The thing about Keanu Reeves, and uh, this is not the first time I've, I've had this conversation with other people before about him, and I think it's just, he, and I don't know him, so this is of course a guess, but I don't think he knew what kind of an actor he wanted to be. That's totally fair. I mean, because if, if you look at his career up until, up until The Matrix, it's... It's kind of all over the place. Like Bill and Ted is one thing, but then he's in Speed, and then he's trying to do period pieces like, like, um, like Dracula. I think he was in Much Ado, and it's he's got. Oh a, yeah, he is. He's got a weird. His his career is kind of all over the place, and for me, The Matrix cements him as the the kind of role that he should be doing, because I think his the best performances of his career they all there's it's it's The Matrix. It's I I am a sucker for Constantine. I love Constantine and John Wick. No. And I think it's just I would throw a speed in that ring too. I I rewatched Speed about 2 years ago. I don't give a fuck. It still holds no, up. No, oh my god. I, I lo- dude, Speed is I incredible. I love Speed. But it's it's during that time where it like speeds the anomaly. Yeah. In that time it's like and he didn't know like I think if he had learned it then, maybe there would have been more of that. But much ado is after Speed. And so it's like Johnny Mnemonic. Like he, I just don't think he knew what he wanted to, like what where his career was going to go. Well, I love that he never, he didn't really, he's never put himself into a box. I mean, now he's become this huge action star. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he always was a, a big action star, but now he seems to have firmly cemented that. Yeah. And if, if, you, and if you had any doubts, here's John Wick. I was, and, and unlike Liam Neeson, who now I'm getting sick of him doing it, I, I just keep enjoying. Keanu Reeves doing this. Yeah, because he's over 50 now and still, like, where is this fountain of youth that both him and Paul Rudd seem to have, like, a fucking... And it's it's not crazy like Tom Cruise, right? I don't think think Keanu Reeves is trying to, like, be the guy that jumps out of planes and learns how to fly a helicopter, but but it is that that attention to the craft. Like, it's the supplemental footage of of him learning the, the shootout and John Wick and like watching him on the range practice, like really doing it. Like it's, it's great. And, and it, it's the yeah, kind I'm of happy to just watch a two hour movie about him training to yeah. be John Wick. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I think I, and whether or not people listening know this or not, Will Smith was originally offered Neo. Can you imagine what a much sadder place this world would have been? I just don't, I don't see it. And I love that I've read recently that that Will Smith, in talking about some of the films that he's passed on, he said, I totally wasn't mature enough for it. Yeah. I I love that he was able to admit that, and then he proved it by making Wild Wild West. Well, and that's, and I think that's where, I mean, and again, I think, well, God, we are so not talking about The Matrix right now, but. Well, we kind of are. With Will Smith. I mean, that's, that has got to be one of the most famous stories of an actor turning down a role. That they either regret or is just a what the fuck? Why did they pass on this? Because why would you? But he yeah, he is in that heap of doing blockbuster I don't blockbuster schlock. And even though I like some of these movies, but you know it's Independence Day, it's Men in Black, it's Enemy of the State, it's Wild Wild West. And even though I like three of the four movies I just said, you know those are popcorn flicks. You know, and and so is The Matrix. But The Matrix is like it's it's a popcorn flick with meaning. 
And all of those movies I just said, they're kind of on the surface. They're pretty much just yeah. right there. And it's not it's really not until Ali. Like much starts... of Will Smith's career. I was gonna say, yeah, I feel like if if he had done Ali and then got offered the Matrix, I feel like maybe then because it's it's the same thing I've talked about this before. The second that DiCaprio started working with Scorsese, different fucking guy. Yeah. And made completely different choices. It's the same thing. As soon as Will Smith worked with Michael Mann on that, I mean completely different his career went in a completely different direction. Maybe not necessarily for the better. Because I I honestly didn't think Pursuit of Happiness was all that. And I know I'm in the minority there. No, no, no. And we'll, we're gonna we're gonna shuffle back to the Matrix here in a second. But the thing I read something about Pursuit of Happiness that I I actually it, it changed my mind because I, I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, and then it was basically just a sentence about the movie where somebody said, "Wow." Will Smith really portrayed such a caring father for his son when he got his son to be in the movie. And it was sort of this, like, how much how much acting was it yeah. when you've got your real-life son to be in the movie with you? And part of me is like, well, it's still a movie, but I'm also like, yeah, I get that. That's I mean, like, if I was told to be, like, to be a, like a struggling single father and I get to use one of my daughters to be in the movie with me and, you know, like, live through this this fake story with my real daughter, I'm sure I'd hit some emotional notes I may have never hit before. So I... I, I get that criticism. Yeah. I actually, just to finish the Will Smith vault, I actually preferred, <laughs> I actually preferred Seven Pounds to Pursuit of Happy, which is, I know that's going to be the hot take that comes out of this episode. Yeah. Whatever. So we were talking about Trinity, and then I wanted to um, shuffle back to Unsung Hero, which is tough in a movie like this because I feel like a lot of people get their due. Mind Cypher. Oh, he's so good. I love Pantoliano, man. I, I've, I've loved Pantoliano since the first time I saw The Fugitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is, I mean, I and he, he's got obviously a much bigger role in Bound, but he is such a great side character. Um, And, and the more I've expanded my, like, you know, the kinds of movies I've watched, he's he's great in Midnight Run. He's great in The Goonies. Um, Holy shit, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's in one the of Goonies. the Fratelli brothers. Yeah. Yeah. He's, oh man, that takes me back. He's wonderful, and oh, he's, and he's great in memento. Um, yeah, well, I was going to bring that up because you and you and Mike mm-hmm. on Cinemus were talking about that and the great thing that Memento does because you just saw Carrie Ann Moss and Pantoliano together in a movie, and yeah. so you're expecting you you've got that imprinted on you, and so you're expecting maybe something similar. And of course, it's a complete role it, reversal. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the thing, so okay, so I love Cipher on this. I think he's great. I. I I just think Pantoliano is one of those kinds of actors. What's he doing? I haven't seen him in anything in a. It feels like it's been a while. It has. It has. I don't. I don't know. Actually, no. I, he's he's done some like TV stuff, epi- episodes of TV shows. No. Um, but yeah, he's he hasn't done anything really big of note that I. Somebody I've, somebody needs to give him another cipher. Like he's due for a good villain. Yeah. The one thing I was gonna say because I I think this is um this is sort of structural script thing, but I wanna I wanna bring this up so. We get that scene between him and him and Neo where it's like, you know, if you see an agent, you run. The whole thing. And then Neo goes back to sleep. They have that drink of whatever the fuck was in that big old weird canister. And then we get the scene with Cypher and Smith. You know, I know I know this isn't real. I know when I put this in my mouth and taste it, the Matrix tells me that it's delicious or whatever. And, you know, ignorance is bliss. We get that lovely scene where basically... It's a great scene. Yeah, it, it is. It's another, it is. It's another one of those great moments that kind of like lets the air out of the tire just a little bit, but then it also builds its own like, oh shit, now there's another thing we have to deal with. Yeah. And so we get the whole thing that, you know, that Cypher's going to get reprogrammed back into the Matrix 
and he's and in doing that, he's going to give Morpheus over to Smith. That's basically what's going to happen. And I know in in previous times watching this, prior to this last viewing for the podcast, I've thought, how is this scene happening? Like, yeah, I because real, you, you need somebody you need to, to be, plug in, to plug you in. in. Yeah. Yes, and I realize that there's maybe, maybe like because obviously when he's watching the Matrix at that point, until Neo wakes up, nobody's nobody's up like he clearly is and so maybe it's possible because that's that's a what i you know somebody needs to plug you in and unplug you and so getting putting that logic aside let's say that it is possible to plug yourself in i don't know how it is but let's say that that's a, a thing how it fits in the movie always seemed kind of weird and so i was yeah because you, you don't get the beginning of it and you don't get the end of it do you it. think it's a flashback and the reason i bring it up is mm. because at I think that would first, make more logical sense. The Cypher very first part of the movie is Trinity calling Cypher and Cypher saying it's a secure line when we know it's not. Because we get we, we see the little numbers flash up and that it's the call is being traced. I like which, which I really me, like that. Which makes me think that Cypher already has this plan. He has to, right? Yeah. Even before they got Neo. Yes. Yeah. That he was good. That like because you, you could tell more. Or uh, um, Cypher's already sick of this. Like he wants to get out. The Neo thing just happens to be happening right now. Yeah. So my it, it, I I can basically I, I want to believe it because I I can I I like the storytelling more if it's just it's it's a flashback. Like he had the scene with Neo and we we're now giving this information so that we know it. That yeah. it's not like Neo doesn't leave and then he doesn't plug himself in and now he's talking to Smith. I that I can't buy. I just yeah. don't. I don't. But yeah, it's it's always it is now that you sort of you know work through it logically. Yeah, it's always bothered me as well, and I I think that's the smart way to look at it from my, a structural my, standpoint. It has to be a flashback. My first note in in my notes I'm looking at right now is a secure line. Cipher's already messing with them, and then when we get to that moment, I'm like, wait, yeah, he is. He is already being a dick he all he, he he's already abandoning his crew so i want to believe that the night before whatever because because we get that because then the you know the cops raid they're trying to get trinity who isn't it's not morpheus but i mean trinity is obviously like second in command on that ship so that's like a step two i, I don't know there just seemed to be something logical about that yeah well and it's also it's an idea that Again, I don't think the Wachowskis really fleshed out in the sequels, and it, it creates such a great opportunity storytelling-wise. Because if he, if Cipher feels this way, it it can't be an isolated incident. He can't be the only person in the real world that feels like, oh shit, I made the wrong decision. I should have taken the other pill. Yeah. And so rather than you having, and I'm I'm spitballing here, because now you got me thinking about it. Yeah, let's do it. Wouldn't have been far more interesting to have. A, a sort of guerrilla sect of humans in the real world who are working with the machines from the inside to let the machine, and rather they let the machines into Zion rather than having this stupid fucking battle sequence that we end up having in Revolutions. Yeah. yeah. And, and with the mechs, which, hey, don't get me wrong, I love me a good mech fight. Fucking District 9, the end of that movie is badass. But... You can't just have a mech fight just to have a fucking mech fight. Come yeah. on now. Yeah. Part of me just thinks that the Wachowskis, with all the acclaim of the Matrix, just decided, you know what? They're giving us a shitload of money. We can do whatever the fuck we want. No, no. Warner Brothers pretty much cut them a blank fucking check and yeah. went, here you go. Yeah. In the same way that they've done with Christopher Nolan to varying degrees of success. 
i.e. Interstellar. Okay, that brings up a point I, I wanted to bring up for sure. So, um, the film made $171 million in the U.S. and $292 um, in other countries. So, worldwide, the gross was about $464 million. It was the fifth highest grossing movie that year. So, the first four in order were The Phantom Menace, Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, and Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. Those were the four highest grossing movies ahead of that. Oh, wait. They're all... Wait. So they're all sequels, right? Not The Sixth Sense. Not The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense is the original one. But, you're, you're, but you know, it's, yes, an original film. It was fifth highest grossing movie of the year. So there's that. Which just doesn't happen anymore. Well, here's... So here's the other thing, though. I forgot that Reloaded and Revolutions came out in the same year. Yeah, it was, it was like six months, right? Yeah. yeah. So... Um, the, I think it was summer and then winter. Yeah. So when when Matrix Reloaded, so so that so in that year, um, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King was the highest grossing, and then Finding Nemo, and then Pirates of the Caribbean, and then The Matrix Reloaded, which was the fourth highest grossing movie that year. And I didn't write down what Revolutions was. Um, I should have. But anyways, I just found it funny because that's what sequels do. So the the second one, of course, grossed more, but of course fell. Much more flatter. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't hate Reloaded. As much as I hate seeing Zion, if we have to see Zion, yeah, you probably you could have done it better. But no, I there's don't, a lot to the, love. The freeway chase fight Holy shit, is it's fantastic. A, it, and I, to me, it still holds up. It's I, still, yeah. like, there are moments where and they're, like the, they're uh, whipping in and out of, like, vehicles and trucks on that motorbike. I still, like, find myself, like, oh, Jesus, like, catching myself. Like, I really feel the peril in it. Yeah. No, no, no. I, and honestly... I love the Chateau fight as well, where yeah. they get, like, just the random-ass weapons involved. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we're really having fun now. That was the one I was going to get to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the th- yeah, third one becomes so much about fighting in m- the middle of the air. I just... That Morphe... Uh, the, the Neo Smith fight in Revolutions is... I hate it. The it's slow absurd. Down, the slow-down fist breaking the raindrops like it's ice and, like, the weird ripple effect that's so... So computer computer graphics, I just I can't. Yeah, I can't it's it's a it. bit much. Yeah. So back to the Matrix. Yes. Um. We've talked about favorite line. No, what do you have a favorite line? I don't think we got your favorite line. It's I'm with you. It's the whole. Oh, okay. You know, you help your landlady carry out your garbage. Yeah. That it's that it's all. Any time Hugo Weaving opens his mouth in this film, that's my favorite <laughs> line. Okay. All right. But I I also do love. You know, I every time I watch The Matrix, I do actively try to forget what I know about it, and I try not to think of that first viewing and the subsequent ones. I mean, I, I kind of did in this one so that I could put it into context and talk about my first viewing versus my, who fucking knows, my 20th. Yeah. Um, but the, the Morpheus stuff where he really, like, blows Neo's mind and, like, explains, that's still incredible exposition. Yeah. It's some of the best... I mean, it, it's got a lot to deal with. There's, there's a lot. And we haven't really even talked about the philosophical nature of this film. Yeah. But there's a, there's a huge burden on Lawrence Fisburne's shoulders in this film. He has, I mean, the film really lives, in, it, it lives or dies with how well he's able to get this shit across. Yeah. Well, and, and like, so you mentioned the philosophical nature of it. And you know what? I, I, I was reading through notes. I was reading through articles. And I decided that I, I wasn't going to really bring it up because there are so many references. There are so many things that you could talk about from the, the Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland stuff 
to its sort of ties to Buddhism, its ties to Christianity. I mean, it, it seems to be all over the place. Like, if, and it, it's so open that you could really make a, a good interpretation for for any of those things. Well, I think, and it it reaches out to uh, you mentioned Buddhism and Christianity. I think this film could reach out to to anybody of any faith, yeah. and they could see something of their religion and the way they live their lives and their their struggle for meaning higher knowledge enlightenment whatever you want to call it i i really feel like this film does a good job of of trying to reach out to humanity on on a universal sort of scale yeah which is why it has stood the test of time for 20 years and i think it will i think people will still be talking about it 20 years from now i think so too and i, I think the the openness of it is, yeah, I think it's clear, clearly what helps, you know, and, and, and you're in Lawrence, some of Lawrence Fishburne stuff that he has to deliver, but it's also done, you know, I love the, you know, you know, what is real? How do you define real? You know, if real is what you can see, what you can hear and touch, and it's just electrical impulses sent to your brain. There's that, 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 that cause you can hear that and understand it. Like it, yeah. that, that's not above your head. It's just with, you know, you know, the whole, uh, how did I beat you? Do you think that, you know, that that my speed me being stronger or faster has anything to do with my muscles in this place and then I think that's air you're breathing uh, that line is so good it is it's great and it, but none of that goes over your head like no. you can follow all of that there are moments where it can get maybe a, a little deep but it's mostly in the mythology of this world it has nothing to do with with you know understanding like any kind of real philosophical nature you just you get it, it it's face value yeah but while we are talking about philosophical nature and, and dialogue and things like that. I Even though it's not my favorite line in the film, I, I want to just really bring up the iconicness of the line. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were sure, so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you be able to tell the difference between the real world and the dream world? I know I probably paraphrase that and mess it up a little bit, but that, to me, it's so it was in every trailer, one, but I mean, the ideas, the sort of groundwork that that line lays is is so important i think is it should if it's not in the top 100 film quotes ever i think it should be man yeah take your pick i feel like there's, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of this you know i feel like i the, mean i did say at the beginning there is a lot of clunky di- there's a it's it's so weird because the tonal shifts in dialogue in this film are pretty dramatic you have some really garbage dialogue especially with like the mouse character and the whole woman in red thing do we need this probably not you know the digital pimp part at work like, come on yeah we don't need this. It does. I mean, it, all it does really is it, it shows a camaraderie with the crew. They know yeah. each other, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, think, I feel like the one quote that I was that was actually in every trailer was the, of course, nobody can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. of course, a great piece of marketing right there. Oh, yeah. 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 I, 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 I want to hope unintentional, but yeah, that's the perfect That's the perfect bit of dialogue. To well, you know when they trailer. were filming that, like Joel Silver turned to them and was like, this is going to be in every trailer. This, this is the trailer line, right? Oh, um, you, it has to be. Yeah. Oh, other ties to the sequels. Because I feel, I, I think it's impossible to talk about this film without talking about what followed it. Sure. So another point that I wanted to bring on, I put a big old asterisk by it in my notes. Um, the sequence that kind of makes me sad to see where the Wachowskis' career has gone versus where it started. And I haven't seen their Netflix series since I, even though I hear it's fantastic and does a lot commentary-wise on the LGBT community, which is great. I mean, that's we can never have enough of that content spreading awareness and, you know, trying to bridge the gaps between what people's perceptions are and what the reality of of living as a, a trans person or a lesbian or a bi person. 
Um, anyway, I, I would love to see that show. I'm sure it's great. But when you look at the rest of their films, when you look at Speed Racer, Jupiter Ascending, um, Cloud, Atlas. Cloud Atlas, I mean, the, the potential that they set up for where the rest of their career would go, it hasn't, in my mind, really paid off yet. And I think one of the best examples of that is the... Um, the whole sequence where, you know, starting with, you know, we need guns, lots of guns, and going through the lobby fight. That whole section of the film leading up to where Neo essentially catches Trinity. You know, the helicopter has been shot, and yeah. she, the helicopter goes into the building, and she has caught onto a piece of rope or line or whatever it is, and Neo manages to pull her up, and that's the moment that they realize, oh my god, Neo is the one. Um just that whole sequence and it's so much more meaningful when you look at what neo does in reloaded there's the film starts with him having the dream of not catching trinity even though he already did in the first one and then he has to essentially catch her again you know that sort of duplicated moment that isn't as impactful as it was the first time we saw it i feel like that is a sort of sad allegory for the rest of their career so far i feel like they they really need a break you know they really need another matrix to sort of assert their dominance as important filmmakers with something that is both visually mind-blowing and has something philosophically impactful to say yeah it's tough i mean you know look at where their career started they wrote they've made it in hollywood writing the script for assassins yeah which you know not good no but But where they were able to go and i feel like they've just and you know, in, in in after two attempts at really being in the business, they get they get the matrix. And then, you know, I, I would hate to think that the best work I've done is twenty years behind me. Yeah. You know, and and legit, the matrix. No, I mean, nothing else they've done is is remotely close to to that. And I mean, the only reason we're talking about cloud atlas is just because it's you know another one of their films and we're just talking about their career in context i mean otherwise who the shit cares yeah yeah that that was really my sort of final thought on them as filmmakers uh we did unsung hero we did critical quotes oh that was the other thing have you listened to any of the commentaries on the disc ian i've never listened to a director's commentary you're I feel like you've told me this before and I had a very explosive reaction. I'm not going to now because I'm older and more mature, supposedly. And can I, well, here's the thing. It's not that I wouldn't want to, but I, I've i tried. I tried... Oh, they're, they're not all good. No, no. It has nothing to do with the, the quality of it because I'm interested in what they have to say. It's distracting in just the sense of like, am I watching the movie or am I, am I listening to this? I, I my, my dream is that someday somebody just can extract the audio and just make them podcast. Because I, I don't Because that's watch essentially movie. what they are. I would just listen to them talk about it. Yeah. I did that once. There's there's a podcast I listened to. They did a watch along with Psycho. And I, you can't hear the movie. You just hear them talking about it. I'm like, I, I could do this. I, I would be fine listening to people talk about their movies just as it's going along and not hearing it. So I... I don't know, man. I, I, I want to so well, bad that with is so the, many. That is the problem with commentaries is they don't kill the audio on the movie. And so when there's a dead moment in the commentary as there's bound to be, especially if you're dealing with something like a three-hour film like Braveheart, which, by the way, not being a massive Mel Gibson fan anymore, his commentary on Braveheart is actually fucking astounding, and he barely stops in the entire three hours. Anyway, so you get the movie come through during those moments of dead air 
which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. So I can understand how it's frustrating to try and listen to the commentary, but then you've also got the audio from the movie sort of seeping in here and there. Uh, but anyway, the commentaries on The Matrix are... They had a very interesting experiment, the Wachowskis, when it came to this, and it took a lot, from what I read, a lot of convincing to get Warner Brothers to go along with it. So there is one commentary track from critics who hated the film, and another commentary track from philosophers who loved it. Now, if they had more time and money, they would have done the reverse as well. Yeah. So you could have had a complete perspective, philosophers who hated it, and critics that loved it. I, and I just think that's fascinating, the idea of that. And, I, and I've listened to all of them. Yeah, yeah. And they do get... The critics, they don't hold back. It's wonderful. It's a really wonderful thing to hear them actually tear revolutions apart as well they should and the things that they bring up really don't help if you're a fan of revolutions trust me you're either going to hate this or it's going to convert you to all the rest of us like-minded drones that who should rightly hate revolutions but it's the the other one that was interesting it's a really hard you can tell it's really hard for them to tear about the first one and they're going out of their way to find little shit to pick apart which i think is is a testament to how enduring this film is. Yeah. I mean, the philosopher ones are what they are. I mean, there's some really good information in them, but the, the one that is most telling to me is the critics who quote unquote hate the movie. And they're actually, they spend a lot of the time actually really championing it when they're supposed to be there to tear it apart, which is yeah. great. Again, like I said, I just think that's a really, uh, another argument, you know, another bullet point just to prove this film will be around hopefully forever. Yeah. I mean, it should be anyway. It's in the National Film Registry, so we should never not have it, which exactly. is great. Yeah. Um, so, obvious question time. Ian, should The Matrix be in the book? Yes, it should. I, I agree. I agree. The book uh, that exists in The Matrix and in the real world, I think it should be in both yeah. books. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe in, in, I don't know if it's going to be in The Matrix or in the real world, but maybe one of the versions of this book, um, The Quiet Man isn't in it, so... Um, I, by the way, I'm never going to let that go. I, I, I hope it was garbage. I man. just, I, I don't want to keep bringing it up, but I fucking hate that movie. Yeah. I think we're, <laughs> I think it's, it's going to keep coming up. Yeah. Like we keep bringing up Sallow as well and Triumph of the Wills and other things like that. I mean, I really want to drive that home. I'm not doing Triumph of the Wills. No, no, no. We're going to, we're going to do, we're going to do an episode. We're going to do one DW Griffith episode and just get his shit out of the way. And then we're going to do an entire episode about the movies that we're not going to do a single episode on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, and, that'll, and that'll the reasons, and the reasons why exactly. we're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shit yeah. that should go in, in their place. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is absolutely a movie that deserves to be in the book. Um, it is a cinematic triumph, both uh, visually and storytelling wise. I think it really launched Keanu Reeves's career and whether or not the Wachowskis make anything good from this point on, they will always have the matrix. Yeah. Well, I really hope they do. I hope they do have another Matrix in them. I'm endlessly disappointed we never got their Conan movie. Oh, is that something they were... Oh, that's right. I think they I were gonna, that. They were going to do King Conan, which was going to follow on directly from... It was going to kind of retcon. As we've seen now, there's a lot of movies that are retconning sequels and going, now we're going to ignore this shit and do the sequel you deserve. Can I tell you something? I finally watched Conan, like, not too long ago. The original... Yeah. Arnold? Yeah. Oh, it's shit. Oh, come on, It man. is shit. But, it is, you know, it is, it's, it is, it is shit. But were you not grinning like an idiot? No. Mo- no, no, no. Conan is up there like that is top 10 guilty pleasures for me. And I, but I can what see. What is best in life? Thing, I could see why. I yeah. could see why. Depending on when you saw it and what, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Anyways, 
we're not talking about Conan. We're talking about The Matrix, and we both think it should be in the book. But we want to know what you think. So uh, find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, leave us a comment. Let, let us know what you think about The Matrix, if you think it should be in the book, and if it shouldn't be, and if you could replace it with something, what would it be? If you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Um, Ian and I are both very busy people, but I want to say that like in the next couple of months, we are going to start to um, expand where you can find us. So um, be, be on the lookout for that. But otherwise, you can listen to us where you have been. Um, there yep. might also be a couple of weeks where you don't have a new episode, and we do apologize for that in advance. Adam is a very busy, talented actor, and I also have a life, so... You know. But you'll, we'll, we'll make you fully aware of that as, yeah. as that comes. But uh, we're not there yet. And until next time, I'm Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.